Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome back to Dark Poutine. I am Captain Michael C. Brown, <laughs> captain of the USS Dark Poutine. Across from me is my science officer, Matthew Stockton. Greetings, Earthlings. Greetings. Do you have your Spock ears on? I don't. You're not, are you a Star Trek fan? Uh, really? Not really. There's a new one. My husband's obsessed. Ah. Every, like, I, I have this joke that... My first five years walking in the house, mm -hmm. all I'd hear from the TV is, Khan! <laughs> he oh. loves Wrath of Khan. Oh, dear. Yeah. It's a good movie. No, it's not. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate, Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Our content is often intense and some listeners may find it disturbing. We are not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We are ordinary Canadian schmucks chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. So this week, in part two of our series on UFOs, we're going off the dark poutine beaten path a bit. First, we'll hear two parts of the interview I did with Chris Rutkowski, scientist and the ufologist responsible to collect reports of UFOs from Canadians in Canada. He uses that data for the Canadian UFO report, which he publishes annually. As well, we had so many replies to my call for UFO stories from so many interesting folks. In a bonus episode that you will see in our feed, we will hear from listeners talking about their own experiences with possible UFOs. Included in those is a tape of Ken Bunn of Saskatchewan, who recorded his own late 1960s sighting for his grandchildren in the 1990s. His daughter-in-law, Petra, also a friend of the show, shared the tape with us. And at the end of the bonus episode, you'll hear Matthew and I talk about our recent experience traveling to Area 51. Let's get to it, though. Here's Chris Rutkowski to tell us about himself and what he does. I just want to welcome you to Dark Poutine for our very special 
uh, series of episodes on UFOs, UAPs. Can you give us a brief breakdown about who you are and what it is that you do in regard to UFOs? Well, my name is Chris Retkowski. I am a science writer, and I have been writing extensively about UFOs and related phenomena uh, since about uh, the late 1970s. Uh, I've actually investigated cases. I've talked to uh, pilots, air traffic control operators, RCMP, uh, good observers, people who should know what's in the sky and uh, have uh, traveled extensively across Canada to visit places where UFOs have been seen. Uh, my background is that I have degrees in uh, science and in education, specializing in science education. I like to, to um, tell people uh, you know, about some of the interesting science discoveries and some of the world uh, shattering discoveries are, that are always going on and to sort of appreciate uh, the universe and, and our own backyard. I think it's great to you know, help kids you know, uh, look in wonder at the rings of Saturn or uh, you know, just to really appreciate uh, some of the science that's uh, really all around us. So that's what I'm interested in. And in, um, when I was in university, um, I was interested in space. I grew up uh, watching the Apollo missions. Uh, I remember my parents uh, making me sit down as a very young kid and watch the Mercury and Gemini launches and things like that on TV, on a, on a black and white fuzzy TV. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I just had the, the, the space bug. It was, it was kind of cool. And I was in university and uh, calls started coming into the astronomy department um, from people who said that they had seen UFOs and my profs were not all that interested in UFOs because to them, the UFOs were nonsense. Right. Um, but I, I thought, well, you know, I'll take the calls for you if, if you don't want to. And I'm trying to get on their good side, you know. Um, so I ended up talking with people and uh, was quite fascinated with what I had heard um, because I was told that there's nothing to UFOs. And yet here are these people uh, who, you know, uh, they're not trying to pull the wool over my eyes. They're, they don't seem to be making things up. They just have seen something they didn't understand and were looking to me to try and put it in perspective. So over the years, I uh, started um, talking to more people. Uh, I was asked to, actually asked to lecture about it at university. Uh, and, uh, you know, I wrote some books. And before you know it, I was kind of the, the UFO guy. And uh, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's where it is right now. You, you've kind of become the go-to UFO guy here in Canada, which is really kind of cool. That's why I'm so happy that you could be on the show. Well, glad to be here. Glad I can uh, help to talk about some of this stuff. So um, recently, there's been a little bit of activity going on uh, in the media about uh, UFOs and UAPs, and it kind of started ramping up around the time that videos were released that were taken by pilots from the aircraft carrier USS Nimitz of some strange, very fast-moving and oddly behaving objects in the sky. Those videos have been viewed millions of times, and there are a lot of theories as to what they might be. 
other than some sort of hypersonic weapon that we had not been aware of up until recently, what are your thoughts on those videos? Well, the videos are, are curious. They sometimes come with a, an audio track, which doesn't match what you're actually seeing on the screen. So we, there's some issues there. We don't have the full set of videos. We know that, uh, that two of the videos are actually from the same event, but they've been cut in two and things edited out. Uh, so there's some issues there about how come we don't have the full documentation. Uh, the eyewitness testimony from some of the pilots involved is, is quite riveting. There's no question of that. But at the same time, it, it, you know, they're not absolute proof. I mean, they seem to be moving in strange ways, but um, some could be, you know, just uh, an optical uh, phenomenon, an artifact of what we're looking at on these, uh, these uh, uh, you know, night vision and... Uh, uh, other resolution devices. Um, it is no question that there's something strange going on. Mm -hmm. There's something also strange in that, uh, according to the pilots, uh, these UAPs uh, had been observed for weeks uh, before these uh, videos were taken. And the, the question that arises for me is, well, why didn't you do something about it then? Like, why would the United States Navy not do anything about incursions into a, uh, a training area uh, until two weeks later. Like to me, it doesn't really make much sense. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, there's a lot of questions and um, it, it is true that if what we are hearing from the pilots and what we, what is being told we're seeing on the screen uh, are, are completely accurate, then it does seem that there's something, um, you know, not uh, of our technology and other, you know, that we can't, uh, uh, explain as what we're seeing. But at the same time, you know, there's some possibility that this was, uh, these videos were taken in some cases on a training area or in a training area where, uh, you know, there had been tests of drones, there had been uh, tests of other technology. And it's also strange, how come this is the United States Navy? How come we haven't heard anything from the United States Air Force mm -hmm. on this exact same uh, situation too. So there's a lot of questions. And I think my, rather than embracing all of it and just saying, yeah, absolutely. This is proof that aliens are here. I just say, well, let's, let's sit back and look at the evidence uh, a little more coldly and uh, try and get more information as to what's going on. Uh, I, I'm not doubting the pilot's uh, testimony. I'm just saying, okay, but at the same time, we do know that uh, pilots make misidentifications. We have lots of examples of that uh, uh, for decades. So let's know more about what's going on before we can say that this is definitely aliens. Mm -hmm. And and that's where I kind of stop short too. I don't want to ever ask you, do you think these are creatures from another planet? Because I know that you're, uh, you tend toward a bit of healthy skepticism around this kind of thing. Can you sort of give people what your thoughts are on extraterrestrial life sure i mean i've been labeled a skeptic by believers but at the same time skeptics think i'm a too much of a believer for even entertaining some of these thoughts you should hear what some of the debunkers say about me um so it, it's interesting i seem to be sitting on the fence and there's no question that the pointy parts are very very uncomfortable uh, and yet it's the only way that, that a scientist can actually regard this sort of stuff um, you have to gather the information, uh, gather the data, and then evaluate it uh, from a number of different perspectives, because 
Uh, we simply don't have enough information in some cases. Um, and because of that, uh, we have to uh, seem to be, uh, you know, uh, looking at things with a jaundiced eye simply because, you know, the, there are a lot of explanations. We, we do know that um, something like, um, you know, one or two or five percent of all UFO reports each year uh, are the ones that have, uh, you know, no easy explanation. The rest are insufficient information, have possible explanations or definitive explanations. So, uh, it, you know, overall, you know, most UFO uh, sightings do tend to have explanations or we don't have enough information about them. Uh, so it is good to, you know, sit back and say, let's look at this uh, very, very carefully. Mm -hmm. I don't want to start the whole idea about uh, conspiracy, but uh, both the U.S. government and the Canadian government aren't quite as transparent as they could be about these things. And the U.S., for example, has gone really far down a rabbit hole as far as, like, let's debunk as much as this stuff uh, as we possibly can, calling it weather balloons and swamp gas and all that kind of thing. Um, in some cases, it may have been exactly those things. However, mm. I think the attitude, and probably for reasons of national security in both cases, that their level of, well, we're not, we can talk about this, but we can't talk about that, leads people to believe in more conspiratorial things. Yeah, and as far as transparency goes, um, uh, believe it or not, Canada is much more transparent than the United States. Uh, in fact, uh, the United States, uh, its famous Project Blue Book mm. um, was finished in 1969, a little bit into 1970 for a few cases. And after that point, we really have no information on what was being done regarding UFOs uh, until uh, relatively recently when the, uh, it was discovered that there had been a, a program looking into uh, UAP or UFOs from 2007 to 2012. Uh, but there's a pretty big gap there. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas in Canada, we have a, a fairly consistent record of UFOs that have been reported through government agencies originally from the Royal Canadian Air Force, then to the National Research Council of Canada, and in conjunction with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and more recently with Transport Canada, which is the Canadian equivalent of the FAA, uh, that, uh, you know, we have reports going through this entire period. Uh, and even just over the past um, 20 years or so, uh, uh, a diligent reporter named uh, Daniel Otis mm -hmm. uh, got some material released. Uh, uh, Transport Canada had, uh, you know, indicated that they had 500 or so separate incidents classified as UFOs in Canada. They're called UFOs, not UAP. Um, and uh, so, you know, there there are a lot of pilot reports in there, a lot of reports from air traffic controllers, some radar indications, that type of thing. That's just over the past. 20 years or so. Now, what's curious is that all of those, the 500 uh, cases, uh, have been public knowledge. Uh, Transport Canada actually makes those public. Uh, and uh, I, I've had, you know, uh, all of those for, uh, you know, many years all along. Uh, there's another category of cases called uh, service cases, uh, which is communication instructions for reporting vital intelligence sightings. And those are also by pilots. In fact, pilots uh, are required to report any unusual activity uh, that, you know, might indicate some security uh, concerns 
uh, and they actually call them UFOs, that pilots are required to report UFOs. And every year pilots do report UFOs and we have those uh, documents. Uh, so, uh, you know, I've, I've had many documents. There's uh, hundreds of documents that we've had over the past uh, several decades that indicates something was going on. And even before that, when the National Research Council and the Royal Committee and Mounted Police were investigating, uh, there's hundreds of reports of, uh, of UFOs and that were filed with them and investigated in, in some cases. So, you know, Canada has a better record than the United States. So it's, uh, it, it's uh, even though, you know, the recent discoveries and recent revelations of Canadian documents don't seem to be making a big dent in the uh, the American UFO scene. It's actually quite significant because Canada is partners with the United States on NORAD, and a lot of these cases were filed with NORAD. So, uh, you know, this is a, a quite a significant batch of documents. Now, um, Daniel Otis, you mentioned him. Uh, he wrote in November 2001 that credible UFO reports are being ignored, declassified Canadian government documents reveal. And he says essentially that they have been, in a, excuse my French, shit canned mm -hmm. without real investigation. So what does the government of Canada do with these reports? Do they look into them? That's a really good question. Um, up until 1995, uh, there was some investigation, not a great deal of investigation in, in a lot of cases, but uh, there were some significant investigations. That year was when uh, the National Research Council and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police uh, parted ways, essentially, and uh, got out of the UFO business. Uh, but up until that point, there was a certain amount of, of investigation, although uh, there's an interesting book by uh, a historian named uh, Matthew Hayes, who you know looked at what the National Research Council was actually doing with regard to uh, UFOs. And it seems that UFOs were kind of a hot potato. Nobody really wanted to have anything to do with them. In the United States, UFOs were viewed more as a security uh, threat, whereas in Canada, uh, they were more of a scientific issue. And the scientists themselves didn't really you know, have a lot of interest in the UFOs. They thought people were just misidentifying things and, or making things up. So it really got bounced around. And uh, uh, after about 1995, when they were transferred over to uh, uh, Transport Canada and other organizations, uh, you know, they're, 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 nobody seemed to know what to do with them. Now, what's interesting is that um, in the 1990s, I was working um, on a number of astronomical uh, research uh, issues. And I was in Ottawa at the National Research Council and had lunch and coffee. Uh, with some of the scientists at the National Research Council, and they're bemoaning the fact that there's these UFO reports that still come into them, and that uh -huh. they, they're getting tired of it. And they would like to wash their hands of the whole UFO thing. And I just said, well, you can always give them to me. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about what people are seeing. And uh, they said, really? And I said, yeah, sure. And that was the last I heard of it, until the year 2000, when I started getting UFO reports uh, that oh, people wow. were filing with the Canadian government. And I kind of became um, the, the civilian arm of the, uh, the, the Canadian government's UFO team. And uh, I, uh, you know, have been uh, making a lot of these documents uh, public uh, through uh, the Canadian UFO survey that I publish every year, uh, posting them in various forums on blogs uh, and, and more recently on Facebook and Twitter and places like that. Um, and, 
I'm also uh, getting close to retirement and I was actually approached by the University of Manitoba uh, to donate my collection of UFO files and materials. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I hadn't really thought about where this was gonna go. So I actually have donated most of my UFO files uh, to the University of Manitoba Archives uh, and Special Collections Department. As a matter of fact, just today, uh, I uh, took over seven large bins, plastic oh, wow. bins of books and files. Um, and there's many, many more bins to go. Um, but uh, a lot of this material is, uh, is there already. And uh, we're looking at something like 23,000 UFO reports from the past uh, 30 years in Canada as part of the Canadian UFO survey. Mm. Um, in addition, there's Oh, about another uh, 10,000 digital copies of uh, government UFO files. And um, I'm just looking in my, across my office right now. Uh, there's probably another five to 10,000 separate documents and files on other UFO cases. And I'm, I'm working on a retrospective going back into history into uh, the 1940s and even earlier for cases. So you know, thousands and ten, tens of thousands of UFO reports, uh, all, all told. So that, that sounds like it is a huge amount of stuff that you have basically on paper. Um, Mostly on paper. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. what does the university plan to do with it? Are they going to digitize things or? Uh... Yeah, the purpose, uh, the, 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 the goal is eventually to digitize the whole thing. Um, now, of course, they're, with a limited budget, they're going very, very slow. Mm -hmm. um, there are a number of digitizing programs that are going on around the world right now. Um, in, uh, in Sweden, for example, uh, with the Archives for Ufology, um, and also a, an American researcher by the name of David Marler, plus people like Barry Greenwood and Jan Aldrich in the United States, are, have uh, acquired um, the UFO files and materials of the Center for UFO Studies of uh, the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization of NICAP and uh, you know other uh, researchers' files, and they're in the process of digitizing them and, and archiving them. So a lot of this material is being uh, preserved, which is really good to see. Um, and unfortunately, my collection uh, is going to take a little while. Stanton Friedman, uh, the noted mm -hmm. uh, researcher and lecturer. Um, after his passing, his collection was donated to the University of New Brunswick, uh, sorry, not the University of New Brunswick, the, uh, the province of New Brunswick's archives. And uh, uh, it's so massive that according to the archivist there, it's going to take 10 to 15 years oh, to even process it, let alone digitize it. So we're talking about huge amounts of information, but the idea is that eventually it's going to be very accessible and you know people can uh, have a, a lot of fun looking through uh, this material so if you dig hard enough on uh, like the c a d o r s site k doors i think it's pronounced mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, you yeah. can you can find these kind of reports uh, from pilots and all that kind of stuff there's not a lot of detail there but there's some really really interesting things there mm -hmm. absolutely yeah. yeah has has anything that you've seen really stood out to you well, there are a number of cases in the, the Ketterer's files. Um, uh, there are, um, uh, there was a case that I'm trying to think what year it was now going back, uh, let's say five years of a Porter Airlines flight 
that was going from, I think, Ottawa to Toronto or the other way around. Um, and in flight, uh, right in their flight path, was a large donut-shaped object that shouldn't have been there that caused the pilot to take evasive action. Um, this is a commercial airline. And doing so, the, uh, some of the, the stewards uh, on board um, were, uh, you know, jostled around quite severely. I think one one of their one person's head hit the uh, uh, the, the top of the the aisle, um, and it had to be treated when they got back to uh, onto the ground. Um, and uh, there was an investigation. We know that uh, this was also investigated by the uh, um, Transportation Safety Board, which uh, which is another body that's occasionally involved. Um, and what was told was that this was not a, uh, uh, a balloon. Uh, this was not a, you know, a conventional object. This was something else, but nobody seemed to come forward with what it really was. Uh, but here's the, here's the thing. Um, a lot of the Kedor's reports are reported by pilots. And as I mentioned, pilots are required to, to file these reports. If a pilot, for example, sees a, a light or an object uh, near his or her plane um, and reports it, or it, let's say it's picked up on radar or there's a, um, uh, a, a collision and avoidance uh, system that's, uh, that goes off because there's something there and there's nothing to be seen, um, you know, that suggests that since passengers are flying uh, in, on board these, uh, these aircraft, there's a, a safety issue. Um, there, uh, you know, if there's a problem with the the technology itself, the radars on the fritz, the, the collision avoidance systems on the fritz, the pilot, if there's pilot is seeing something that's not there, is it a problem with the pilot? Uh, and, and so, you know, there's a lot of issues involved here. And if these are occurring with such frequency, as I mentioned, 500 in the past 20 years alone, uh, then one would think that this is worth investigating and worth studying. This, we're not even talking in terms of aliens or anything. We're just talking in terms of what uh, is being reported in the skies. And that's just Canada. You have to multiply by a factor of 10 at least uh, for what's being reported in the United States. So the fact that in the United States, um, there's a you know, program that theoretically is going to look at UAP uh, you know, in, a, in, a method, in a good uh, methodological system uh, is very promising, but it's something that's very much needed. Uh, is that what's coming as far as the announcement that the United States House Intelligence Committee is hearing testimony next week from two Pentagon officials? Is that kind of the word on the street? It's related to that. Um, the uh, There was this uh, UAP task force report, which came out last year that everybody got pretty excited about. Uh, and that was the one that said that there were 143 or 144 cases that didn't have an explanation. Um, and that was received by pilots, mostly military pilots, and all during a very short period of time. I think they only went back 18 months or 24 months or something like wow. that, and all near military installations. So, uh, but what's, what is misleading is it's not that these 144 or 143 couldn't be explained and were unexplained completely. Mm -hmm. What was actually said in the report is that they had no definitive explanation for them um, because there was insufficient information. So uh, only one was actually explained and they were able to say that, uh, you know, this UAP that was reported turned out to be a deflating balloon. 
uh, all the rest um, didn't have enough information to pin down exactly what they were. In other words, they had possible explanations as drones and balloons and other planes and so forth, but they needed more information in order to determine exactly which ones they were. That's very different from saying that they had no explanation. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I, I think what's going to be happening uh, on, the, uh, on the 17th of May, uh, this congressional hearing, is that there will be some testimony. There's an open hearing, which is actually going to be broadcast live on uh, on uh, congressional TV, I understand. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's going to be a classified briefing. Um, and it's hard to tell what's going to be uh, said uh, in the unclassified. Uh, we probably will find out something about the classified briefing at one point after people file uh, freedom of information requests. But what we have to remember is that this is not new. People are saying this is fantastic. The gates are being uh, thrown wide open and you know, hooray for all the, the big pushes from some of the people who've been working on this. Well, Gerald Ford, before he was president, uh, uh, lobbied for uh, an official congressional investigation into UFOs back in 1966. Mm. Um, and there was uh, a series of congressional hearings in 1968 okay. um, at which the scientists um, like Carl Sagan and Alan Hynek gave testimony excuse me, uh, gave testimony uh, about uh, what they thought was going on in, in the UFO field. Um, and uh, so that was 1968. 1969, Project Blue Book was shut down because there was not sufficient uh, evidence that there was worth, uh, you know, any scientific uh, analysis. And after that point, it's a big black hole. We don't know exactly what was going on in the United States with regard to UFOs. So the last time there were congressional hearings, it shut down UFO investigation. Mm -hmm. um, so what's going to happen this time around? I have no idea. Uh, I think people shouldn't get their expectations too high. It's interesting. And yep. uh, it's, uh, it's going to be, you know, curious to see what does come out of it. Uh, but, you know, it, it's happened before. Thanks, Chris. And we'll take a break right here so some of our listeners can hear from our sponsors. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. For the first part of this episode, we didn't hear from you, Matthew, obviously, because it is part one of my interview with Chris Rutkowski, the ufologist. Mm -hmm. And he is a super fascinating guy. Yeah. Really nice. Good sense of humor. He's been doing this for a while. He's too. been doing yeah. this for a really long time. That's great. So let's forge forth and get into part two of our interview with Chris Rutkowski. Does Canada need a centralized organization that is looking at these things? I mean, you're retiring, so, <laughs> you know, are you retiring from collecting the reports as well? Is, is that what's going on? No, I'm not going to retire from ufology. 
necessarily. I'm going to retire from some of the activities, but certainly not from that. Um, uh, there's still so much to cover. Um, I think Canada does need to have some sort of committee uh, struck to investigate uh, UFO, UAPs and UFOs uh, in a little more a rigorous fashion. Um, I've made this point a, a number of times over the past uh, more than 20 years now that uh, uh, there should be a coordinated effort. Right now it does look like Transport Canada is receiving things but not investigating. There's another body called NAV Canada which is actually a, a non-governmental branch which is exempt from uh, access to information requests that appears to be uh, you know uh, in a better position, they do receive the, these UAP and UFO reports, and they, we suspect, may be in doing some investigating too, but they're under no obligation to release any of that information, whereas we do get the Transport Canada reports. So I suspect there should be a, a, a more coordinated effort. Uh, we do know that some Canadian politicians have spoken out about trying to get more information. Uh, an MP named Larry McGuire, uh, has already given a presentation and asked questions in a uh, Canadian parliamentary committee uh, regarding the release of information about UAP uh, in Canada. And that uh, uh, at least one or two other politicians uh, have uh, said, yes, we definitely want to hear more about this. Uh, I've, uh, in addition to myself, giving a briefing to the Canadian uh, Minister of National Defence last year, uh, I've also uh, briefed uh, Mr. McGuire and a few other politicians um, who have asked about what's going on with Canadian ufology. Uh, so I think at a, at a political level, there is a desire to find out more information. Part of this is because of what's going on in the United States that, you know, we, Canada shouldn't be left out. Part of it is because Canada is partners with NORAD and it makes perfect sense for the Canadian Minister of National Defence to have been briefed on what's going on because uh, you know, chances are uh, that briefing uh, would have carried over into the American side of NORAD and perhaps the uh, Secretary of Defense in the United States uh, was similarly briefed. So I suspect there's a lot more going on, but even the fact that the Canadian Minister of National Defense was briefed on UFOs is very significant because we don't have any information that the Secretary of Defense uh, in the United States has ever been briefed in mm -hmm. this manner. So I think, again, Canada seems to be ahead of what's going on in the United States, even though people are saying that Canada is dragging its feet and, and hasn't <laughs> done anything. You know, it's a very complicated issue, depending on, uh, uh, you know, which side you, uh, you, you take a look at. Yeah, for sure. And we have investigated things before, and Canada has put money toward things before. And, and one thing I kind of omitted from our questions, but I know you know a little bit about, um, in the last episode, I spoke about W. Smith, w. B. Smith and Project Magnet. Mm -hmm. That, to me, was super fascinating. I mean, whether or not he was investigating a technology that was extraterrestrial or not is irrelevant to me because I think what they were doing was really fascinating. Um, what... What do you feel that was the, uh, of course, the car alarm's going off right now. Yeah. What do you feel, <laughs> what, what, if anything, uh, have you learned that sort of uh, expands on Project Magnet after its official close? 
Uh, was there anything that you can talk about there? I mentioned some work by Matthew Hayes, his search for the unknown. He looked very deeply at what the National Research Council was doing with regard to UFOs and what the Royal Canadian Air Force uh, had been doing. And he delves into uh, uh, Robert Smith uh, in some detail. It's a lot less positive than, than a lot of people have heard. As a matter of fact, I go into it a little bit more. My, my next book is coming out uh, in a few mm -hmm. weeks uh, called Canada's UFOs Declassified. And I have uh, sections on Robert Smith as well. It turns out that Smith's own director was not that impressed. In fact, Smith was a bit of an embarrassment to the department. In fact, they, they didn't give any money to, to Smith. He had, they gave him some uh, cast-off equipment uh, for putting in this UFO detection station uh, just outside of Ottawa. And while Smith was actually studying the magnetic fields as a way of propelling vehicles, uh, studying the Earth's magnetic field, he believed that himself personally that flying saucers uh, had something to do with magnetic fields. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's how he got involved in that. There was another project, Project Second Story, which was sort of almost concurrent with this, where there were a number of people at Defense and also at the National Research Council who were on board, uh, not necessarily the National Research Council, but uh, the uh, Defense Research Board and so forth, who were curious about the UFO problem, uh, again, because the Americans were looking into it, and they looked very, very cursely at it. Uh, there is not the, a very half-hearted attempt. Uh, Wilbert Smith himself was absolutely convinced that there was uh, something to this, but he kind of went overboard to the point where he believed that he was telepathically communicating with aliens. Mm -hmm. He was heavily involved with the Ottawa Flying Saucer Club which was very heavily into what we describe now as contactees and a lot of really way out concepts that, again, were to the embarrassment of uh, his colleagues at, uh, uh, you know, within the defense and, and uh, communications community. So it's a really big problem. There's no question that he was a, a prominent figure. Mm -hmm. And even things like where he, you know, said that he went to Washington and uh, had made some discreet inquiries and found out that issue of flying saucers is rated two, two levels higher uh, in terms of secrecy than the H-bomb. You have to think, why would anybody even tell a, a low-level communications yeah. uh, administrator person this if that's true? It just doesn't ring right when you, when you look at that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people believe that Wilbert Smith, you know, was trying to, you know, pioneer uh, this field and that he was fighting the good fight. Although the evidence seems to go against this, who knows? It's an interesting snippet of Canadian history, that's for sure. You mentioned your book, uh, your new book that's coming out. You've, you've had a, a, a few others, but Canada's UFOs Declassified. Can you talk to us about that book a little more? Sure. I looked at the various UFO files that are called the NRC UFO files, uh, but actually come from the Royal Canadian Air Force and the RCMP and so forth, covering a period from about 1947 to about 19, I think I go up to 1970 or, or was it 81? I think I might go a little bit further than that. But 9,000 or so UFO files have been digitized by the uh, Library and Archives Canada in Ottawa. That's where the National Research Council 
was sending their UFO files every year. Every year, there was this office in the National Research Council in the Hertzberg Institute of Astrophysics. Uh, and there was one person who was answering phones from people who were reporting UFOs to taking teletypes off the teletype machine mm -hmm. uh, and opening letters and snail mail, that type of thing, and filing them in a filing cabinet in this one room within the Hertzberg Institute of Astrophysics. At the end of the year, everything from that year was taken to Library and Archives Canada for processing, and then it was put into the archives for people to look at. And I made the trip to Ottawa many times. I actually was at the Hertzberg Institute of Astrophysics quite a few times. And eventually, you know, there'd been such demand and because of the interest in the phenomenon, Library and Archives Canada decided that it was going to digitize some of these documents. Now, not all of them have been digitized. There's still a significant portion which aren't. Uh, but at, even so, there are about 9,000 separate documents representing something like 2,500 to 3,000 separate UFO reports are, are part of this, uh, this large file. And I went through that batch of reports to pick out the more interesting ones and the ones that are, are, are very strange, like uh, RCMP officers who report that disc-shaped objects buzz their car, pilots reporting close encounters and the, where the, their <laughs> hyper-cub airplane was actually levitated in flight by a UFO. Oh, dear. Uh, things like that, 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 you know, you sort of think, well, this is pretty strange and how come we never heard of these before? And yet they're in the files. Mm -hmm. um, some of them were investigated extensively. Uh, and in fact, people are saying, you know, Canada has never really done an investigation into UFOs. Well, there's several cases where uh, investigations were very, very thorough. Falcon Lake, Shag Harbor. I know you've uh, talked about those before. Mm -hmm. My collection of papers on the Falcon Lake case alone, hundreds of pages of documentation, including um uh, the uh, interrogation and testimony of witnesses uh, and, and uh, the family and uh, uh, other people involved uh, where uh, uh, members of the Royal Canadian uh, Air Force and the RCMP visited uh, the site, uh, took uh, samples and the samples were analyzed and found to be radioactive. And, hmm. you know, it just goes on and on and on. I mean, that was a very thorough investigation. And, and Shag Harper seems also to have some documentation, although certainly nowhere near as many. Right. And there are several cases in the National Research Council UFO files uh, that are of that caliber, wow. uh, where some very strange things were documented in, uh, in, in great detail. Well, better you than me, because I've looked through that, uh, <laughs> the Libraries and Archives Canada site with four things that are tagged UFO. Mm -hmm. And some of them, like you say, are snail mail letters that, you know, Grandma Smith wrote in mm -hmm. about, I saw a light in the sky and this is the light that I saw and while I was baking a pie, essentially, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. How long did it take you to sort through all that stuff to create a cohesive book with interesting stories. Well, I'm hoping it's cohesive. That remains to be seen. Yeah, it will be. <laughs> oh, yeah, it took many, many years. And some of it is drawn directly from the National Research Council files. Some of it's from additional files. There's actually FBI files that were included as well. So it's uh, quite a lot of research that went into this. I wanted to make sure I documented things. The other interesting thing about this book that I wanted to do is actually provide the actual documents and case files. So I would say, I can't remember the actual number. I know we added more at the last minute. There could be maybe 50 or 60 pages of official documents 
that we're reproducing so that uh, anyone reading the book can actually see what was being said uh, and uh, the cases described. So it's, uh, it's fairly unique um, and it covers, uh, again, just uh, a matter of 40 years or so. Um, and I, you know, I have a lot more material to come. So, uh, you know, there may be another book in the offing. That's great. I, I mean, I, for one, I'm really excited to read it. I've always find it interesting that year 1947, that things kind of started to happen then, and that's the year of Roswell. That's just an aside, but it's kind of interesting. I wonder how, how much the Roswell incident informed UFO sightings and, and what actually took place after. Well, I can actually tell you that I one of my projects is sort of a documenting a historical set of UFO cases in Canada. And they go back much earlier than 1947. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in fact, official reports go back much further than that. So it's not a magical number at all, a magical year at all. There were cases previous to that. But that was the year that it just seemed to capture people's imagination. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one interesting things about the, uh, about the UFO phenomenon. It's something that everybody has an opinion about, whether they've read enough about it or not but it's the type of thing where you can be sitting uh, uh you know with at a family gathering or at a bar or at a party you mention ufos and almost everyone will say you know i didn't see anything myself but my uncle said that you know sure. <laughs> saw something yeah. the other day it, it's something that really touches everybody and you know as humans we've always looked up into the sky uh, wondering if we're alone in the universe. Now, with my background in astronomy, I share the belief that there probably is out there somewhere uh, mm -hmm. extraterrestrial civilization, uh, and, you know, on a planet orbiting a star, who knows how many light years away. Um, and the problem is it's just tough to travel between the stars. Sure. But because our sun is an average star, that means that there are some that are older and some that are younger. And if there's a star a little bit older than our sun, maybe a planet much like the Earth uh, has a bit of a head start on us, and maybe they've, you know, a little more advanced technologically. And I'm not talking a hundred years or a thousand years, but, you know, there are the possibilities that the planets around uh, nearby stars are, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years uh, more advanced than ours. And while we can't break the laws of physics to travel between the stars, maybe if somebody on one of those planets has figured out a way to bend the laws of physics mm -hmm. to travel. And that's quite exciting. But we don't have any proof. All the speculation in the world that these little um, odd white and, and dark things that we see on the videos of the Nimitz and the the Fleur and the GoFasts and uh, sure. you know, those things, you know, they're, they're not proof that we're being visited, but the possibility is there. Uh, and the, the possibility is never zero or the probability is never zero. And it's exciting that we live in the James Cameron universe or the, the yeah. Steven Spielberg universe where uh, aliens are very common to be on the, the, uh, the silver screen or on TV. And, you know, is there somebody out there who's going to save us from, wars and pandemics. Maybe somebody has figured out a, a way around that without the destruction of that civilization. If so, you know, I'm all ears. You mentioned Steven Spielberg and James Cameron. Do you think that the attention brought to these things by uh, media like that, do you think it hurts the scientific conversation and, and has people looking perhaps with a little more bias at the situation say, 
oh, it's it's that Steven Spielberg stuff. This isn't what we really should be looking at. So let's look the other way. Well, again, we have to go back quite a few years. This isn't new. You know, in the 1940s and 1950s, there was a whole series of uh, flying saucer movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, flying saucers from Mars and the flying saucer and, and things like that. Spaceship Earth, you know, some classics. So there was always media. In fact, you know, one has to go back into the 80s and 90s for the X-Files. And people are said that, you know, the X-Files were going to cause people to see UFOs. Well, actually, the number of UFOs, you know, really didn't take off, pardon the pun, with the X-Files. <laughs> and it was after that, during the, the advent of the Internet, that uh, people started reporting UFOs in greater and greater numbers. Now, because it was so easy to report because of the internet, that's certainly possible. But there's been a steadily increasing number of UFO reports every year in Canada and reflected elsewhere around the world. Up until about 2015 or so, And then the numbers started to decline a little bit with a couple of bumps. Uh, We do know that 2020 had one of the highest numbers of UFO reports in a single year. I think it was the third highest or second highest. Wow. I'm giving you the scoop that we've just released our Canadian UFO survey for 2021. And there's only about 700 UFO cases in 2021, a significant drop from the year before. Um, not entirely sure why. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because, um, you know, with all this attention, you would think things would be ramping up, but uh, they don't seem to be. Well, there's a vast difference between attention and interest in UFOs and the actual reporting of a UFO by somebody. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, people are all excited and they, they want to watch as many videos and, and TV shows as possible. And read as many Facebook posts and sure. and uh, Instagram posts. And, and is there something on TikTok that I should be watching too? <laughs> and yet without the actual reports, all this information and speculation and the, the excitement and TV shows really aren't that important because the foundation of every speculation on whether the aliens are are here or there or for which planet they're from and how they're being propelled and why they're this shape and not that shape, it's all based on the reports. And if you don't have the reports, you don't have the data. Mm-hmm. And without the data, we don't have much of ufology at all. Um, so the number of UFO re- reports that are actually filed um, seems to have started going down. Maybe the assumption is that now that the United States has this task force, we'll leave it to them to do all the, the hard work and in, uh, in investigation and you know, they've got it all wrapped up. They'll tell us what's really going on. And yet, without the average person reporting UFOs, we don't have much. Mm-hmm. And that's the concern because the United States Task Force, as I, we mentioned, only looked at military and pilot reports. If you, for example, wanted to make a report to that, that task force, how would you go about it? Would they even be interested? And even the Galileo project, this new project by Avi Loeb, the, the Harvard astronomer, who's gathered a bunch of scientists to look into uh, the subject of UAP, he's made no secret of the fact that the ordinary person's report about UFOs isn't all that interested. They're looking only at instrumented observations like radar, cameras, videos, and so forth that can be verified. And they're coming up with a way of getting um Uh, detection stations uh, in a number of arrays so you can follow UFOs as they travel across the country. The average eyewitness report doesn't seem to fall into any of those categories. And yet, we do know that um, train spotting and plane spotting uh, has been the way that a lot of information has given to and obtained by 
um, security and intelligent personnel. It's the way that we understand what's going on. Uh, in fact, in the early days of ufology in the 1940s, at the same time that Roswell was, was said to be occurring, there were flying saucer watch parties going on in cities and towns across North America and around the world by people with binoculars and just sitting out you know, in lawn chairs, looking up in the middle of July, keeping track of what was going on. And when Sputnik went into space in the late 1950s, civilian observers were the ones who helped aeronautical engineers track and come up with the orbit of the Russian spacecraft. So civilian observations are very, very important. And I'm hoping that the Galileo Project and the UAP Task Force and this, this new, uh, I can't even remember the A AOISG or whatever it is, <laughs> that uh, it seems to be the new acronym for the United States uh, investigation into uh, uh, phenomena. Um, you know, hopefully that they're going to come up with a methodology that includes eyewitness reports as well as instrumented reports. You put out the Canadian UFO survey, and can you tell us a little bit about that, how long you've been doing it, and, and what exactly it is? Well, in the late 1980s, I wanted to know exactly what people were seeing. I was used to getting the UFO schmags on the newsstand. This was before the internet. We were getting uh, newsletters and fanzines and UFO zines and things that made it into uh, the National Enquirer and the occasional uh, report on TV. But I wanted to know how common what UFOs were. Uh, I was corresponding with uh, my colleagues uh, across the country. So I said, can we coordinate on this? Can we just, you know, gather all the cases in one year and see what the distribution is like? So uh, there's a, a handful of us across the country. Everybody agreed to contribute cases. And we found out that the first year, there's a little under 150 uh, UFO reports in Canada that particular year. The next year, there was a little bit more. And the year after that, and the year after that, and the network started expanding. And we found that you know there were certain patterns, distributions between provinces that uh, the higher the population, the more UFOs were being reported. Mm -hmm. That colors and, and shapes and duration and times of, of day, I know there were certain patterns regarding those as well. And over the years, and we collected quite a lot of data, I think we have something like 23,000 separate UFO reports now since the, we began doing this in 1989, all largely due to uh, the generosity of a, a lot of other researchers across Canada who are contributing. More recently, we're, we're data mining a lot of websites and files from other researchers and other groups. And it does seem that the distributions seem to be holding true. There are changes with time, but you know, it gives us a snapshot in, of, of what is actually being seen in a given year. And what's curious is that this 23,000 uh, number of cases uh, over the past 30 years or so is much larger than the number of cases that were actually in Project Blue Book. And I think we have a good database that can be mined for you know, information for future ufological research, if, whether somebody's a believer or a, or a debunker. Um, there's some information in there about what people really were seeing in Canada, and one can make some assumptions and interpretations of the data. That's awesome. I know you have a refreshed website, CanadianUFOReport.com, and it looks fantastic. People can find you on Twitter, all of those kind of things. What's the easiest way to get in touch with you and, and tell you that I've had a UFO <laughs> encounter? <laughs> sure. That's a good question. In fact, um, 
On my blog, which is euphorum.blogspot.com, I have a recent post there. I think it's maybe a, a month or two ago. Uh, where do you report a UFO? In fact, there's not an easy answer of where do you report a UFO? Uh, and I give some links and uh, some uh, ideas about uh, uh, where UFOs can be reported, not just in Canada, but uh, elsewhere around the world. There's a, a variety of, of places. Um, but I, it's true, I, I have that blog, uh, the survey uh, website itself. Uh, we, as I mentioned, just been, we had to get a complete redesign because of uh, um, the, uh, the, uh, the IP was uh, getting changed. Um, plus, uh, I'm on Facebook. Um, there's a Facebook group uh, called UFO Updates, which is the Facebook extension of uh, a discussion forum, which was begun by Errol Bruce Knapp quite a long time ago, which has been archived now going back into the 1990s. Mm. And I was asked to take over the, the forum after he passed a number of years ago. Uh, I'm also uh, an admin for a number of other UFO Facebook groups. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm around. <laughs> yeah, I know our friend Jordan from the nighttime podcast, you've, you've had conversations with him a lot and, and he's got a forum on his website and I thought I should do that on mine. You've got one on yours too. As a matter of fact, his, his goes to us. <laughs> oh, there you yeah. go. Perfect. So if you want to report a UFO, there are so many different ways to do it. And maybe that's the thing. Maybe the Canadian government ne just needs a, a page on, the, on, the, on, on their site that just says report a UFO here. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, when in the briefing to the Minister of National Defense, uh, they did actually name me mm -hmm. to my photo with one of, on one of the slides that was presented to the minister that stated very explicitly that uh, the, you know, the UFO reports uh, were being given to me. And, you know, I, I'm honored and it's a privilege. And I think that's probably why they uh, entrusted uh, these, uh, these reports to me. It's something I'm doing as my... Uh, civic duty, I suppose, because I think these are reports from people, Canadian citizens, who have had experiences that they can't explain and want some answers. Mm. And while I may not have the answers and don't have the answers in a lot of cases, uh, at least these are being recorded for posterity mm -hmm. and uh, I'm uh, respecting their, uh, their rights in that sense. So there's a big buzzword I kind of want to leave us with. And it's the word disclosure. And I know you've probably heard that lots of times. And it's, it's the, that's the believer's buzzword. Mm -hmm. People who use that word are the ones who think that the government is covering things up and that there are things that we should be told. What are your thoughts on disclosure? Well, I, I, I don't think there really is any disclosure or need for disclosure. Uh, and I have to explain that. Um, whether you believe in disclosure with a capital D or, or a small d, or even something that's been called soft disclosure, which is the gradual release of information. Um, some people said, well, you know, the, the movies we're seeing on TV and the news reports we're seeing, well, that's part of soft disclosure. Well, no, it's not. What it is, is that dedicated researchers like Daniel Otis and Matthew Hayes and others mm. have been very diligent at uh, finding documents. Some are come without finding them whatsoever. In fact, the vast majority of the 300 documents that Daniel got in this last batch from the Canadian government had already been made public. So there, there was no, no disclosure at all. And yet even 
that that was called disclosure. Mm -hmm. And disclosure also implies that somebody is in charge, sort of turning the tap on and off and coordinating it. And I think what we found from my studies and studies by Matthew Hayes and others is that the government organizations themselves may not have had any real background or knowledge about what to do with the UFO situation. They were passing it from one another like a hot potato. I suspect that was the case in the United States as well, and certainly in other countries. So I don't think that there's a coordinated effort by any organization, government, or clandestine institution that is keeping things from us that eventually is going to give us the big reveal. And that's the whole idea by disclosure, right? right. They're going to suddenly say, okay, you're right, we have the little green guys in pickle jars, or mm-hmm. you know, we've been in contact with the aliens from, <laughs> uh, from Proxima Centuri. For all these years, we've been working with them in underground bases. They've given us the cure for cancer and, and all that sort of stuff. That's behind this whole disclosure idea. And I don't think that that's the case at all. Right. Are there documents and UFO reports that are still secret and will always be secret? Yes because there are certainly UFO reports that are sightings by military personnel in, I don't know, a theater of war, which you're never going to find released. Sure. Uh, maybe people uh, working undercover you know, in intelligence operations. You know, there are going to be cases like that. So I, I think that there is a, a level of secrecy which people simply have to accept. And uh, even in the case of what I have in terms of, I, have, I don't know, four or 500 ports from the past 20 years or so through various government agencies, most of them are lights in the sky that turn out to be Starlink satellites or balloons or stars or planets or whatever. There's not really a lot to, to disclose. And if that's uh, our experience in Canada, I suspect that's the same in the United States. What is going on in terms of what, you know, these videos from the Nimitz and uh, the other aircraft carriers and other planes and other pilots, I don't know. And that's the paradox. We simply don't know enough. We don't have the information. It would be nice to get, you know, disclosure of, of this information. And certainly somebody leaked these these reports. And right. whether that someone was doing it in an official capacity or really just to cause trouble, um, that remains to be seen. Thank you so much, Chris Rutkowski, for coming on the show and having a conversation with me about UFOs and uh, your involvement in reporting in Canada. You're most welcome, and keep an eye out. I learned so much during this interview. Uh, What are your thoughts, Matthew? Well, you know, you think... I think he's kind of balanced, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, in his approach. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, um, and that's that's great, right? Mm-hmm. So he's sort of showing. It's hard, like, being the guy, yeah, you know, yeah. for this kind of thing, especially with the bias that people have yeah. against ufologists. Like, I was watching this uh, one show that completely poo-pooed the idea of unidentified uh, aerial phenomena. Mm-hmm. completely poo-pooed it, said doesn't exist. It's like, what? Are you stupid? Yeah, it's kind of silly. No, it is silly because there are things that people haven't identified. And he's like, oh, those guys are dumb. And like, yeah. and this was a scientist saying this stuff. Okay. So, yeah. So he just completely ignored the fact that there's been lots of reports of... Yeah, unidentified things. We're not saying that they're alien vehicles. 
We are not saying that. It'd be fun if they were, and it's a fun thing to think about, like I talked to yeah. Chris Rutowski about, but we're not saying that these are alien vehicles. We're just not, because we don't know. I have a friend who met an alien. Really? Yeah. Okay. He asked him, he's like, how come I haven't, he's like, I haven't heard of alien abductions for a while. Mm -hmm. and the alien said, yeah, we, we did that for like 50 years. Okay. And all, all we figured out was about 10% of the population likes the anal probe. Oh no. <laughs> you got me with that. Like that was, a, you were, you set me up. I did. You did. You're and so it, easy. it was a good setup. What does the C stand for in Michael C. Brown? Christopher. Okay. Yeah. That's right. It's time for voicemails. You can leave us a message at one 327 5786 or one 877 darkptn We'd love to hear from you. Let's see who called us this week. All right. Let's listen to our first voicemail of this week. Hi, Mike and Matt. It's Leslie from Calgary calling. Uh, just listen to the most recent episode uh, of Holly Bartlett and thought I'd weigh in as a fellow blind person. I'll try to keep this brief, uh, but I definitely think the taxi driver is more complicit than he said. Uh, definitely, I don't generally run through fences or, uh, you know, climb bridges unless there's something much scarier behind me. Uh, with that said, I appreciate the way you handled the topic, and I really loved Matt's uh, comments about, uh, you know, the eye-rolling about how we're so inspirational. <laughs> yes, I, too, don't understand how the fact I can follow signs and, and you know, like the fact I can find the door in a public washroom without assistance is hardly, you know, a work of magic. Anyways, <laughs> I, I really appreciated that uh, you kind of got that. Um, I guess to end, I'm supposed to tell you to poop in your toque or something, but uh, that seems mean. Uh, <laughs> so how about, uh, Matt, you go pet Steve for me. Aww. How about that? <laughs> okay, thanks, guys. Have a good day. Oh, thank you so much, Leslie. That's really nice. I love you, Leslie. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, honestly, I was hoping that somebody uh, from the blind community would call in and just sort of let us know how we did. And, and I feel much better. I'm always a little concerned when we tackle things, uh, with people who are not us, who yeah. are not, uh, just. Well, I just, I just think if, if you just like stop and think of mm -hmm. humans as humans, humans it just doesn't, yeah. I have some friends who, you know, I just know from experience that this whole sort of, ah, yeah. um, I would love to give Steve to Leslie for a day as her seeing eye dog. Oh no! He would literally lead her to any the nearest boat. So Leslie, if you ever want to go on a boat ride, I'll lend you Steve. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Steve will take you there. I'll give him a pat for you, Leslie. 
All right, here's our next voicemail. <laughs> hello, hello, Mike and Matthew. This is Ayla and Katie calling from Vernon, D.C. Currently, myself and my girlfriend have the COVID, so we're stuck in the house. But thankfully, we have you to, you guys to listen to. I don't know what we'd do without you. Um, Mike, we've been listening since uh, day one. And uh, Matthew, you add the perfect amount of gay spice to the pot. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> anyway, take care and drop a plopper in your topper. Oh, my gosh. Bye. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Drop a plopper in your topper. I love that so much. And and you do bring the right amount of gay spice to the to the show. Sugar is just gay salt. <laughs> oh, gay, no. gay spice to me, but gay spice would be those like multicolored sprinkles on the top of oh, an angel yeah. food cake. Yeah, something with a unicorn on the bottle. Well, I hope you got over the nasty COVID. Yeah, it looks like they called uh, last week, so okay. they're they're probably feeling much better today. Good. I hope so. Anyway, uh, to you and your in. girlfriend, you you too can go take a plopper in your topper. <laughs> that's funny. I thought that's great. Plopper in the topper. A plopper in the topper. And here's our last voicemail for this episode. Hello, Mike and Matthew. This is Kathy Smith AC from Oregon. Longtime caller, sixth or seventh. No. Oh, good Lord. One time listener, sixth or seventh time caller. <laughs> Anyways, I hope you can edit that out. If not, <laughs> whatever. I will. Um, I wanted to ask a question about CrimeCon. Did you feel like it was a reunion when you were meeting back up with other podcasters or fans? Because that's what it looked like from the pictures that I've been seeing from the different um, podcasts. And also, second question is how did it make you feel when people were walking up to you and talking to you like they've known you forever and I don't mean that in a bad way as listeners I think we all feel like you're our friends and that we know you and I was just wondering did it freak you guys out did you like it it's just I was curious anyways love your show and go poop in your toque bye Oh, thanks so much for calling, Kathy. And again, thank you for your donut money donation last week. Uh, f as far as like reunion, oh my God, did it ever. I mean, so I haven't seen my friend. These people are my friends. Tyler uh, from Minds of Madness, Jessica from uh, the Asian Madness podcast, um, Justin and Aaron from Generation Y. I haven't seen any of those guys for three years. Yeah. Like we sure will keep up on Facebook messenger and stuff like that, but I haven't seen them for three years. So yeah, it was, it was awesome. I mean, it was my first time, mm -hmm. but the one thing I took out of that part of it mm -hmm. was a real feeling of community amongst podcasters. There is. Yeah. And the listeners actually. In a big yeah. way. And it is always weird when people come up and say, Oh yeah. Hey, how you doing? And they're so excited. And, and, uh, but at the same time, like, we feel like you're our friends too. I mean, yeah. obviously you're, you're I mean, listening I, I to us I find it really humbling actually. Yeah, for I'm sure. Like, oh, I, like, honestly, if anyone came up and were a listener, I'm like, I'm truly 
honestly grateful that they're listening to us. Yeah, me too. And we met, you know, some people and we drove all the way from Texas and stuff like that. It was so cool. Yeah. A lot of Canadians came down, people from all over the place. Were yeah, there. yeah. Malena and her mom and her sisters were there from Calgary. And yeah. um, I see Malena, I've seen Malena and her mom at three con- crime cons now, which is great. And I did a little draw from a couple of copies of my book and Malena one, one of the copies of my book. So I got to sign and give her a copy of my book. And that was really special. I, I, I was thinking I would like her to win anyway, because I've seen her so many times. I feel like she, she's earned it, but yeah. I, so I just drew it out of my hat and sure enough, the first name I drew was hers, which was really cool. So yes, hundred <laughs> percent. It is awesome being able to do that. And Hopefully we'll get to do that a little more. I'm thinking about some other events that we should be doing, maybe. Uh, I don't know about traveling. Money's a little tight, but whatever. Mm. <laughs> we'll be doing some more stuff around here, but maybe around the West Coast, uh, Oregon and uh, Seattle are, or Washington State are not off the off the uh, the, poss- the list of possibilities. So who knows, Kathy, we might even meet you one day. Be great. It would be very nice. That's it for this week's voicemails. Again, you can leave us one at one 327 5786 or one 327 We'd love to hear from you, even if it is just to say hi and to tell us to go shit in our hats. If you're stumped for what to chat with us about, a quick story is welcome. Now on to shout-outs to our new Patreon supporters and Donut Money donors. All right, first up, we have Colleen Rothschild. Now, where is Colleen from? It sounds like she's uh, from a family of wealth, but anyway. She's from Quibbletown, New Jersey. Quibbletown, New Jersey. Yeah, I guess they quibble there. Oh, yeah, quibbly people. Yeah. I guess, you know, quibbling is better than actual arguing. Yeah, but, but she, it, it, she, she's she's there to like. Stop the quibbling. Oh, so she's a... Uh, she's a kind of a peacekeeper in Quibble Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. A quibble moderator. Yeah. She moderates the quibbling. <laughs> well, there you go. Someone's got to do that. Well, thank you for moderating the quibbling. Colleen Rothschild. Thank you. Next, we have Jesse Carroll. And Jesse is from Regina, Saskatchewan. Oh. Yeah. Why, why did you say that? Why did you make that noise? Never mind. Okay. So Regina... Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. And what does Jessie do in Regina, Saskatchewan, Matthew? She is trying to get the ugly brown brick building downtown taken away. What is that? Is there an ugly brown brick building? In... Yeah, there's this monstrosity that... What is it? It's just some building and it's horrible. But anyway, she's she's on she's on a board that's trying to get it replaced. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's probably something that needs to get done. Yeah, it's very like 60s or 70s. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I'm very 60s and 70s as well, so aren't you? <laughs> you're, you're very 70s. I'm very 60s. I'm very 70s. Yeah. Born right on the, right on the 1970. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I was like, I was born, I always tell people I was born right between the moon landing and the Manson murders. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, kind of funny. Uh. Let's move on to Donut Money Donors. First up, we have Darian Kunz. And Darian Darian is... And Darian... 
First up, we have Darian Coons, and Darian says, thanks for all your hard work. I would love to, for you to guess where I'm from and what I do, as my dad also listens to your podcast, and he'd get a kick. So what does Darian, where is Darian from, Matthew? There's a town in Turkey. Yes. This is serious. Okay. Called Batman. Batman. Yeah, he's from Batman, Turkey. So what does Darian do in Batman, Turkey? He's a philanthropist. Okay. And mm. son, son of um, a rich, a, a wealthy couple. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and does lots of technology and things like so, that. So the father who also listens to the podcast is wealthy. Yeah. Well, I guess we need some more donut money then. <laughs> but uh, so that's interesting. So he's a philanthropist. Slash super. What's his favorite? Oh, maybe. What's mm. his favorite cause, do you think, as far as philanthropy goes? Fighting crime. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Fighting crime. I guess we all have to do it at some point. <laughs> That's what we're doing here with this show. We're crime fighters. We're not. We are so <laughs> not crime fighters. <laughs> Next, we have Holy Guacamole. Jillian Symington decided that she would send us a three-digit... Jillian. Donut money donor donation. You. Wow. So thank you, Jillian. She says, I sent a snazzy email. Yes, and we got that. Thank you so much. And she says, go shit in your hat, I think. <laughs> I guess. She said, I think? She said, go shit in your hat, I guess. Okay. Uh, Jill. So what does Jill, where's Jillian live, number one? Blandshire. Bland, that sounds, that doesn't sound very fun. <laughs> it's in New South Wales, Australia. There's a place called Blandshire yeah. in New South Wales. Blandshire. Uh, I, I would really like to go to Australia. Have you ever been? Many times. Many, see, you've been everywhere and I have not. But she has an important job in Blandshire. What, what's the important job? She wears like these fantastic frocks and fascinators in her hair. Mm-hmm. To make it not bland. Oh, wow. Yep. So she sent a really cool thing about uh, fire hydrants that are all dressed up and painted. See, told you. She's anti-bland. Yeah, <laughs> right exactly. There. She is definitely anti-bland. I'm not going to tell you where she's really from, but holy smokes. And oh, she dog. is the mum of Butters, Tater, and Snow, <gasps> her dogs. Butters. Where's Butters? Butters, Tater, oh, and just, Snow. Oh, it's a different Butters. Yeah. Okay. They're very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And she says, uh, she really wrote a really long email, uh, but thank you so much, Jillian. And it's, we it's so fantastic to have, uh, listeners who are so enthusiastic and animal lovers to boot. I am just definitely an yeah, animal lover. No, she's like, I think I got the perfect job for her seeing this email. Well, interestingly, she says about her husband uh, was in Port Coquitlam as a kid and is pretty sure he delivered flyers to the Blackman house where Bruce Blackman murdered his family. Yeesh. Yeah, whoa. And he's also 80% sure he may have rented a movie to Robert Picton when he worked at Blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, that's, you know, connections. So what, uh, you say you have a job for her? Yeah, I told you. What is that? She keeps it Blanchire, not Oh, right, bland. not bland. All exciting. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll just get that out then. Oh, look at those, look at those fire hydrants. The, the fire hydrants are really cool. Anyway, thank you so much, Jillian. 
we really appreciate that level of support. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks to all our patrons and Donut Money donors past and present for your generosity. It helps to keep the show going. You can become a patron of Dark Poutine at patreon.com slash darkpoutine. For a one-time donation, you can send us donut money via PayPal using our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already subscribe to the show, it would mean a lot if you did. You can easily find Dark Poutine on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If you haven't gotten yours yet, my book, Murder, Madness, and Mayhem, is available to order via a link on the Dark Poutine website. And speaking of darkpoutine.com, please check it out for show notes and other cool stuff. We'd appreciate it if you took the time to give Dark Poutine a like or a follow on Facebook and Instagram. Most importantly, thank you for listening. And tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Thanks for being a good egg and not a bad apple. However... There's a bonus episode for you to listen to. So go to the Dark Poutine feed and check it out now. Hi. Her name is Elspeth. Elspeth Tassioni. You know her as the offbeat but brilliant defense attorney from The Good Wife and The Good Fight. You've been a very busy little bee. Buzz, buzz. Now she's in New York with the NYPD. This is very different. Better. But still using her unconventional ways to find the truth. You're trying to sniff me, Miss Tassioni? <laughs> Elspeth, new series Thursdays on Global. Stream on Stack TV.